Welcome to another episode of Dads with Nerdy Ambitions. I'm your host, Steve Pugh. And with me today, as always, is the nice David Perry. He is constantly on my show, the Mandalorian Merc, the Merc with the mouth. So, David, how are you doing today? Just fine. Thank you for having me on again. <laughs> um, as well on the show today, we have Amanda Raymond. She is a director, writer, and producer. She has a film on Netflix called You Are My Home. From Emily, which came out in 2019, won multiple awards and screened at multiple festivals around the world. She's a published author, son of Sherlock, and she has a production company called 13 Curves Production. Uh, Amanda, thank you for being on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It is definitely awesome to have you on the show today. Uh, so 13 Curves Production, I heard there is an urban legend to this uh, name. Can you... Uh, Enlighten us a little bit here. Oh, yeah. No, when we were kids living in upstate New York, I'm, I'm from Syracuse, New York, originally. There was a road called Cedarvale Road, which is also dubbed the 13 Curves. And it's literally a road that has 13 curves going up a twisty, windy road, like on the side of a cliff. And so the rumor was, was like back in the day, you know, this car, this newly married couple was driving in a car and the car fell over the cliff because they weren't paying attention. It was at night. And so the bride and the groom were constantly searching for each other because apparently when they fell out of the car and they died, their bodies weren't together. So they're still looking and there have been tales of finding either the bride or the groom along the 13 curves. So especially around like Friday the 13th or Halloween, like we always drive around like, oh, are we going to see them? This could be great. No one to this day, as far as I know, has ever seen them. So, but it's a fun story. That that's cool. I like that. That's that's a fun little, uh, you know, in depth story there. To your, you've actually taken something kind of cool and spooky and turned it into a little bit of home for you. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I like that. Um, so, you have a little bit of a nerd streak. Uh, oh, I do. <laughs> I totally do. <laughs> um, Let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, what are some of your nerdy backgrounds? Um, oh, God, where do I start? Okay, so I've always been a massive Disney nerd since mm -hmm. way back whenever. I mean, I could tell you what animator animated on which character in which Disney movie, who voiced which character, um, you know, who worked on TV shows, all of that. Um, I certainly love my comics. Uh, I'm big into cosplay. Um, I take my costuming very seriously. Um, I had a big uh, filmation fandom. It's like I loved like He-Man and She-Ra. I was way into that. My Little Pony. Um, yeah, you name it. I was into all that stuff. All the Tim Burton films, Nightmare, Beetlejuice. I'm one of the few people I think that really loved the movie Willow. Um, <laughs> so you're excited that Disney's coming out with another Willow then? Yes, yes. I still wanted to be up for that as a director, but it didn't happen. It's okay. That's okay. I didn't get it either. So, you know, <laughs> um, obviously, uh, I actually, I didn't say this. Well, I did say he is one of the, the Mandalorian mercenary costume club. So David is a very much adamant, uh, cosplayer, uh, for the Mandalorians. Um, what do you like to cosplay, uh, Amanda? Um, what I've done is, uh, speaking back to He-Man and She-Ra, I did Evil Lynn from He-Man. Um, I did Frosta from She-Ra. I've done Mrs. Incredible. Um, I did a female Green Hornet. I did a female Sherlock Holmes. Um, what else have I done? Yeah, those are the those are the ones that I actually have a seamstress. Like I'm no joke. I have a seamstress that makes it for me. I literally show her a picture and say, "I want this made," and she says, "Okay, great. Go get this kind of fabric. This is how much we do fittings." Or like for the Green Hornet, like I just designed a costume. I said, "I want this," and she just made it for me. So, 
I'm very much jealous of you right now. I just want you to know that. Uh, that's cool. Um, oh, and Endor Leia. I did Endor Leia from Return of the Jedi. Oh, that's awesome. Complete with a helmet and everything. Yeah, it's pretty rad. That's pretty cool. Um, do, you, do you have pictures of them and everything? I mean, obviously, you I can't do. show it right now. I, I would totally yeah. love to see that. That's cool. Um, are you excited about uh, Masters of the Universe coming back uh, on Netflix? They're bringing that back. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, because okay. I feel like they already tried to do the reboot, you know, Cartoon Network did the more modernized version of He-Man, and uh, I was not a fan of how they took it darker, they took the camp out, like, Skeletor is an idiot, come on, I mean, <laughs> anytime you try to make him more serious, I feel you're killing the, the heart and soul of what that show was, like, just trying to make it more dark and more, you know, um, so I don't know, we'll see, I, I, I'm curious, because I always thought it'd be cool to do a modern version of He-Man, kind of mm -hmm. like how Riverdale did a modern Archie, and I thought that series was really, really well done, and I thought something along those lines would be interesting, but. Interesting, I, I, okay, so I'm going to say I wasn't a fan of Riverdale, just because I didn't like how they made it all, it was this very nonchalant comic to me, that I saw, and you, know, you literally saw it everywhere, and then they turned it into this very dark, and yes, very modern style. It was unique, and I know they did the same thing with, or a similar thing with Sabrina, and they're doing, uh, it's it's a fairy show, uh, Winks, or something of that sort. They're doing something like that with another kid's cartoon. Oh, and Powerpuff Girls, or Powerpuff Girls. Oh. They're doing that too. They're making them all grown up. David, did you know about that? Oh, wow. I didn't know about this. I've, I've heard about it, but I haven't read too much about it into yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's from it's it's very little information that I've heard about, but they're going to be like adult now, mm. like 21 year old. So, you know, older girls and like it's it's kind of reflecting on back when they were kids and stuff like that, fighting a monkey with a brain and. No. Mm. <laughs> I, like, I gotta be honest, when I hear about these things, my, my very first comment is something original, please. How about, how about we come up with something brand new that's not a rehash of something from the 90s or the 80s or the 60s or, you know. I, I always feel like it's what it comes down to is my generation, the, the 80s babies, you know, we don't know how to let things go. I, I really feel like this. No, no, it's true. Rugrats is coming back. All right. Uh, French Toast Crunch came back. Everything. Fair. You know, we, we don't know how to let go. I think that's what it was. It's we have the technology like every generation has always been back in my day. But my generation said, screw you. We're bringing it back. I really, really feel like that's what has happened. We and we're putting our own twist on stuff like, hey, yeah, we we miss powerpuff girls let's make them adults we wanted sabrina back instead of melissa joe hart we're gonna have this we're gonna make it a lot darker but you know it is what it is um so you are definitely have a lot of nerdy backgrounds and that is awesome um is there any specific nerd fandom you relate to more than any i'm, I'm guessing i would say probably he-man masters of the universe or is there one that you that is like your your heart and soul your heart of hearts I would say probably Star Wars. I mean, that's probably like my my biggest one. Uh, episodes about four, five, and six. But um, <laughs> to me, one, two, and three don't really exist. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Lucas. But um, <laughs> no disrespect. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I grew up with those with my dad. My dad introduced me to the Star Wars world when I was a kid, you know, on VHS and everything. And so because of that, that's always going to be near and dear to my heart. So That's awesome. Uh, so now I'm looking at your hair. Your hair is very short uh, that hangs up. Are you almost like Bo-Katan level? Are you going to cosplay her as your next Star Wars cosplay? Say yes. <laughs> Say yes. Yeah, yeah. There we go. That's what we like to hear on the show. I've actually told I do a pretty decent Carrie Fisher. So, you know, oh. if you picture me with like all, you know, brunette hair, you know, actually Adam Hughes was doing a, um, a Art Nouveau style of um, Slave Leia. And he's like, wait, wait, can I take some pictures of you and just use you as a model? Like, because you had the perfect facial structure as Carrie. I was like, wow. Yes. Thank you. So I modeled for him. That was kind of cool. That's cool. <laughs> um all right. Uh, given your cinematography background, is there a specific hero, movie, or genre you would like to direct? Um, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you that as well. I would say fantasy. Definitely fantasy is, so, is like what Willow I three or yes. <laughs> but Willow Taylor isn't even a, a second Willow. Um, yeah, definitely something along those lines. Like I, I like the bigger worlds. I like the the creativity. You know, like back in the day when they had map paintings and stuff. Um, you know, what they can do is like there there's no limit to where your imagination can go in those kind of worlds, and I just think that's amazing. I like that. I actually just had a girl, uh, a lovely girl on the show. Her name is Shing, and she hand draws these beautiful uh, cartography maps, like fantasy based and everything. Uh, I'm trying to coerce her and they make me some from like the Jurassic Park so I can put them up on my wall and everything. But she's super slammed. But enough about what I want. We're here today to talk about WandaVision. Um, spoiler alerts to our fans. Uh, we will be talking about uh, episode nine. Uh, one of our hosts, <clears throat> Amanda, hasn't seen it yet. Uh, yeah, no, we're, but we have gotten her consent to go ahead and talk to her about it and spoil some things. Uh, Amanda, everybody Bet. dies. I'm everybody <laughs> dies. I'm just so bad. <laughs> I was so bad. <laughs> um, so let's start with, because the way this show worked, the, the overall theme, I think we can all agree here was grief. This was almost like going through the, the stages, you know, you had your, your anger, resent, acceptance. Uh, it was very, very emotional. And I'm not even gonna lie. I got choked up sometimes watching some of the stuff because we've all had those personal moments, unfortunately, in our lives where we've lost people. And it's what made this, I think, so uniquely relatable on that core uh, human level of just pain and suffering and i enjoyed it uh my wife who she she accepts superhero movies she accepts her existence she'll go to the theaters when we're allowed to go back or when we've been to theaters to go see you she can watch it with me but never once until this show came out was she able to relate to it and get into it as much as i have been able to get and I think that's because of one that basic human emotion as well as the beginning of it was very sitcom-y. And that was unique. Never has that been done with Marvel cinema ever. I've never seen anything besides sitcoms do sitcom style. And this was a good change. 
not everybody liked it. In the beginning, they're like, oh, when are we getting this? Uh, episodes one, two, and three. There was a lot of hate and discontent from the fandom side of superhero movies because this is not what we expect when we see superhero movies. So when we got this new show and it just threw everything at us in this weird 1950s to 1970s style, we didn't like it. Well, I loved it, but fans didn't know how to react to it. And I had said to my brother, I thought this was a great way to bring in new fans. And I think that's what they were doing. Um, looking at those different decades, though, the the styles they did were just the production style was very unique. Uh, it's stuff that hasn't been done in a while. Uh, I'm not really in tune and knowledgeable on this kind of information. Amanda, can you enlighten us a little bit about like the 1950s, 60s and 70s styles of sitcoms in production? Um. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about how production was done back then, but I mean, obviously it was definitely a choice what they did to try to mirror and mimic the styles of like I Love Lucy or the Dick Van Dyke show or Malcolm in the Middle or um, it even felt like that 70s show and then like Bewitched. So it definitely was feelings of that, you know, where you're much more limited in terms of really like what you can do with the camera. We don't have the steady cams. We don't have the big giant moving cranes that are, can be so seamless. Uh, we're not shooting on digital. Everything was shot on film. So they had to be really, really judicious with what they shot and just making sure they had their coverage. And the biggest thing was, do we have this covered? Is it going to make sense versus how stylistic and artsy can we be with this? Mm -hmm. And I think people were going more into that into like the 90s, you know, like when they're doing like, like the push-ins or the holding on the frame and it's like, oh, zip cam over to here, which that wasn't really moves or things you'd see done in sitcoms prior to that. So I felt like every decade there'd be a couple of new things that they were trying to experiment with with the camera, with their storytelling um, that I thought was interesting, just really getting more of a sense of depth and really putting more in the foreground, I think, than, in bef than before. And those are like the biggest things that I notice as a, a director and just like when you're watching older films. I love watching old black and white films. I really do. Um, uh, you know, I grew up on those with my dad and stuff. But, you know, there's a lot you can learn as a director from that and, um, and even with the newer stuff um, because there's so much CG and there's, you know, you can, everything is shot digitally. So you can just kind of keep rolling. The amount of coverage that you can have and footage on stuff is just endless. Um, so let me so ask, this is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this then. It's how difficult is it to go backwards in this, this style? Like we, everything like you're talking about, everything is done on computers. It's the technology is a lot different from how it was in the 1950s and 1960s. Going from being a producer and a director in modern times and saying, okay, we want you to do this like they did in the 1950s. How difficult would something like that be? I almost feel like you'd have to kind of, okay, how simplistic can I make this? I mean, almost going back to like film school 101. It's just like the basic, like over the shoulder, over the shoulder, wide, you know, what are, what are the shots that you need and how simplistic is the, is the production design, is the background, you know, it's like, okay, there's not going to be a whole lot of busyness and you know, it's going to be very, very cut and clean and simple. And then it can get more scattered and more chaotic um, as we get more into it. 
Um, but yeah, as far as I think they probably made them do a lot of research and watching old films is what I would do. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, go back and watch those. I really want you to pay specific attention to, you know, not just like, you know, in the 50s they have, you know, whatever the style of furniture was, but just how is it used? How are the shadows used and the lighting? That's a big thing. It's, you know, it's it's very flat. So it's just lots of bright lights. There's just not a whole lot of mood and tone that they were using in that. So my guess is they probably you know, made them watch, you know, watch like six seasons of, you know, shows from that time to really, really study and mirror that is what I would have done. Now, I I believe I read somewhere that Dick Van Dyke actually did help a little bit with them to for some uh, to set up the stage. Uh, But I don't quote me completely on that. Uh, David, (laughs) not trying to aid you here any. so the, the most one that I think that I would say I knew was Growing Pains. That's the most one that I could re- relate with when they, that was episode, what, five, I think is what one they did, Growing Pains. Uh, yeah. Towards, towards. That's uh, the 80s, yeah. Yeah. Uh, looking back at the, some of those shows, those older sitcoms, how much did they reach to you as a more vintage generation he, he just called me old. <laughs> he, he just, just Stephen just called me old, which I'm not denying that that. But um, you know, I I grew up watching reruns. I mean, I'm probably older than both of you. Uh, I grew up watching reruns of a lot of these shows back when we had four channels and one of them was PBS. Um, you know, but oh, I think you know you you were talking about you know the production and emulating the production styles visually. But when you also watch the performances, the, the, their speech cadences mm-hmm. went back to the way the way that you would see on I Love Lucy or Father right. Knows Best and in the 60s on Bewitched and into the 70s on the, on the Brady Bunch and those sorts of shows. Um, so the, they really got, I think they got the performance right. The timing, uh, yeah. And, you know, the, and the, the pausing for the laugh track yeah. and the aha kind of, you know, like really, really milking it and, and kind of overacting honestly. <laughs> yeah, but that, you know, was, and, that was the point. Right. And they would look into the camera at some points, you know, because that's what they used to do in those shows, even when they, they weren't necessarily breaking the fourth wall, because then you, when you get into the, the Malcolm in the middle style, you see, you see Billy and Tommy, they're talking right to the camera as in, as they do on, on some of those shows. But th- there were those wings to the audience. And I think they got their performances right for uh, for the for the era that the the set the WandaVision was supposed to be set in each episode, you know, and that was done very well. Uh, and Stephen, you were talking about how some folks didn't like the first three episodes because they didn't know where it was going because they thought it was going to be another MCU movie but on Disney Plus, and that's not what it started out as. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of some of the some of the folks out there, it wasn't what they were expected. WandaVision didn't turn out how I expected. I thought it was going to go somewhere else and it didn't go that way. And it was great. And I'm glad it didn't end the way I thought it was going to end. Um, you know, but and a lot of this stuff, you know, we, we were talking about a second ago uh, off camera, um, maybe because of the COVID, a lot of the production on this and the pre-production, probably principal photography was done before the pandemic started. I mean, and it would have been in post-production for the, in the year since, but like with the Mandalorian season two, you know, almost all of that uh, principal photography was already shot before before the COVID lockdown started last, you know, almost a year ago uh, this week. So 
you know, I think they had it mapped out. They had this, this fits into the MCU roadmap um, in a way that, that I think when you look at all nine episodes, you look, Oh yeah, this is, I can see where this is going. I can see, you know, this is how they were coming to it. And you know, it is to get folks to watch Disney plus. Yeah. I, I really liked how this show had me wearing a tinfoil hat the entire time. I was, it was, this show was built on conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. I legitimately, David and I, after every episode would be messaging each other for long messages over hours about what did this mean? What did this mean? And that was another unique thing. This show did a lot of things I've never seen done all in one show. I've seen bits and pieces, like the whole conspiracy theory things. I've seen them in shows like 24. I've seen them in crime shows and uh, government espionage shows. I've seen sitcoms like that 70s show, the Dick Van Dyke. I've seen these things. The way they melded them together, it's very impressive. And even looking at not even just the sitcom side, the production side, uh, another really neat thing is the screen ratios, how they were done. They went yes. from like, and that was neat. Also, that was like, neat. it used to expand out. It's like, oh, look, we're going into widescreen mode now. So, <laughs> no, it's and, not just like the standard old TV format. Yeah, and it was it was the the full screen. Even though you have full screen, you're still missing things. You're not getting the full picture and it's or is that widescreen i may be screwing up my terminology here no you're right it's yes full full okay. screen because it fits the screen but like the stuff's chopped off and then you go yes. into widescreen where it has the bars on both ends. even though it looks like it's smaller you're getting more of the picture so it's but it's, now tvs mostly most tvs are widescreens so it's hard to say when it's yeah know. it's and that's neat that's really really cool uh how difficult is that from a production point of view to switch like go from full screen or the old sitcom styles the uh i i don't know aspect ratios here i'm truly sorry <laughs> oh yeah no no worries i mean it will it depends on what you're shooting on i mean it would, i would be curious to know what cameras they use like did they use the old style cameras i mean i imagine everything was shot on digital to have to be to edit it but mm. like you can choose it's it's very easy to choose the different aspect ratios like 169 is is standard um uh Unfortunately, I don't know. I don't know all of them as well. There's like, you know, three, three, two is kind mm -hmm. of like what you use like cinematically. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's very easy. Like when, before we start shooting, it's like, that's one of the first things my DP says, like, okay, what are we formatting this to? What are we, what is the aspect ratio we need to shoot on? So with digital, it's super easy. Mm, okay. Um, so we went over kind of going over the first, the first three episodes, looking forward, we moved more into time with it. Uh, we get this plot that thickens into what we, at the time, thought was how this was going to go, uh, where we thought it was going to be. Uh, every, pretty much through the entire show, everybody had this theory that it was going to be Agnes Harkness. Um, and then, or Agatha Harkness, sorry. Agnes was her uh, actual name. Uh, and everybody thought it was, there was going to be Mephisto. I'm still convinced, after the show end. Mephisto is going to take place. David, are you kind of on that same theory that Mephisto somewhere at least is going to happen? Probably. Um, but, you know, because that's the thing. I mean, there's this large, 
<laughs> 70 years or, you know, however many years of Marvel comics that, that go back, right? So yeah. there is this, and what they've done with the MCU is they've taken some of those stories and they've condensed them and they've retconned some things and, and they've brought some aspects and just like with Star Wars, right? Like in, you know, the, in Rebels and in, you know, the Mandalorian, they've brought in some of the old expanded universe and they've discarded some other parts. They're doing the same thing with a lot of the comic stories. Some of it's for brevity. Some of it is, uh, you know, for just to clear up convoluted plot lines and retcons and all that other stuff. I don't, Mephisto probably is in there somewhere um, because WandaVision, I think, is at its heart, it's it's this bridge into phase four, along with the Black Widow movie, along with all of the other projects that, that are hanging out there. You know, uh, we got Spider-Man uh, Far From Home, and then they were that then we, that was the end of Phase Three, and it was supposed to lead us into Phase Four. And you know, we, there's an Eternals movie coming up. There's all yeah. these other projects that they've got lined up, and the next one is Doctor Strange and the Multi uh, that's no, Multiverse that's not, of Madness. That's not till 2023. I thought. I think the next one is Thor: Love and Thunder. I thought. No, Black Widow technically is the next right. one, mm -hmm. and then I which think is it's... supposed to be theatrical. Yes, but... right. Well, but the what I've what I've read is that Scarlet Witch's next appearance, she is oh, yeah, definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. she definitely plays into the Doctor Strange too. So it's got to yeah. bridge that. It's got to get there. Now, who's the villain going to be? Scarlet <laughs> Witch could be the villain. She could. You know, be. In, she in, could. In, in in the comics, she started out as a villain. She started out with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Because she was in the comics, yeah. she's Magneto's daughter. Yes. Right. right. But in and then they retcon that away, and now she's not, but you know, whatever. But that but in the MCU, she couldn't be Magneto's daughter because of licensing deals with Fox and and, right. and all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. So so they had to make her an enhanced and her origin. You know, the, this is a nice origin story for Scarlet Witch. I mean, uh, among all the other things, this is we, we see her origin story in in the eighth episode. Um, and that's how we find out how, why she loves sitcoms so much. And, and that's, that's in, so in her heartbreaking life. too. Oh, right. But, but, but that's part of, that's part of her story is again, because it's the MCU and not necessarily the Marvel comics, they couldn't, they couldn't use Magneto and they couldn't use that storyline, but they could use a different version of, of, uh, Wanda Maximoff because she was also an Avenger among all of the other cross Avengers, X-Men, Fantastic Four, and all of that other stuff that's happened in comic books. Um, is Mephisto out there? Probably. He could be. Um, th th this show would lead you to believe that Agatha Harkness was acting on her own. Um, because we didn't, I don't, th we didn't see any evidence of, of her having a boss or someone that she reports to, um, or is, is manipulating the strings. But that doesn't mean they're not there. That's true. It's or she I would could think be... I would think there is somebody. But... Right. Who who gave <laughs> who gave her the dark hold to begin with? Right. Some somehow she came when into you have that flashback when you're seeing, you know, how she basically took out all those other witches like a boss. And, and they you said know? she she delved into darkness. And yeah. She, it's like, well, it, what was it? She said, like, it found me or something like that. So it's like there's some other story there that we definitely could reveal about how that happened. You know, how they found her and how they chose her and how that relationship formed. 
it, it, I was just thinking about that because the multiverse is coming up. It literally could be Doctor Strange is fighting somebody who went back and grabbed that book and threw it into a portal and it ended up in her hands, literally fell at her feet. You realize that that could be an absolute possibility. And it's okay. as simple as that because and, and I, I know that's kind of a like random thing, but I'm thinking here just on the what things we, we thought were significant with Pietro uh, because he the, the gentleman was from. The Fox universe. Yeah, and it turns out like, he, wait, she recast Pietro. Yeah. And <laughs> so this is something that your spoilers for you. His his name is that's Ralph. He's he's Ralph. He's just this guy. He's not even the real Quicksilver or even the mutant Quicksilver. His name is Ralph Boner. Yeah. So what a name. <laughs> yeah. that's a writer sitting in the writer's room like I have the best idea. It's like a 3 a.m. They're all passing around. Absolutely. With these, <laughs> well, and, and it was a perfect troll job on the fans. It was. It I was. mean, it, it was great because a, a lot of people, myself included, you know, I coming into this, I thought WandaVision was going to be reverse House of M. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say that up front. I, yeah. I thought it, I thought this was going to be the first step in introducing mutants to the MCU, because after Disney bought out Fox Studios in 2019, now they can bring most of the prodigal properties back into the fold. And I thought that's how that was going to go. And it isn't. And it, it was very subversive and it was great. But because you bring in the guy, you bring in, you know, you bring in uh, Quicksilver from the Fox X-Men, but he's not playing Quicksilver. And he's playing Quicksilver, but he's not Quicksilver. <laughs> that it was, was great. The biggest red herring ever. And yes. technically, you did get one mutant. I, I would I would argue you get one. You get uh, Rambo. Monica Rambo turns in. You don't think, well. She's not a mutant. She just went through the thing, like, multiple times. Wouldn't That's, that be con- alternating? Okay, not a genetically born mutant, but a genetically altered mutant. Because her cells mutated. They became, she became Spectrum or Photon. That, that, that's yes. Not a- okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. She's she's not a mutant in the in the in the way we understand mutants from right. the X Men. Okay, I'll give you that. But she's because mutant. because you also you, Captain Marvel Carol Danvers gets her powers also from an Infinity Stone. Yes, she's not a mutant. No one's gonna, no one would argue that Carol Carol Danvers in the MCU is a mutant. Would you argue that the Incredible Hulk is a mutant because he got his from the gamma, gamma radiation? radiation. No, it's, it's they're, they're altered humans. Altered humans, but the okay. mutants mutants in the Marvel tradition, they have the, the X gene or whatever, which activates when they're young and blah, blah, blah. And they develop mutant powers, you know, uh, except with the exception of people like Nightcrawler or Mystique that are born looking different. But in most cases, you know, in most mutants in the Marvel comics, when they hit puberty, then or when they turn a certain age and the X gene activates and then they get telekinesis or wings or, you know, whatever their mutant powers are. So... Monica Rambo is not a mutant in that sense, but she is an altered human mm-hmm. in, in the same way as you talk, as you say that Bruce Banner is uh, with the gamma radiation or, you know, you could even Steve Rogers in the MCU, his powers come out modified. of a needle, yeah. right? He's a <laughs> modified human. And so uh, th- they made a big deal out of, uh, you know, Monica can't go into this energy field. She's been through it twice. And if she goes in again, it's going to permanently alter 
uh, alter her her cells on a molecular level and give her superpowers. Da 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 da. And that turns out to be what happens. That scene though, when she's going through and it's altering her, was phenomenal. Yes. Where you see every era of her and she just sees everything through a new spectrum and right. of light. And it is that was absolutely amazing. Right. And and you hear, you know, you hear you hear Fury, you hear her mother, you hear Carol Danvers talking to her, you know, you hear their voices in the back as that's happening. And then she pops through the field and in the in what you know, the new suit or the new outfit, the sword you know, the sword jumpsuit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So we have another superhero. And again, we have another at, super. at, at the end of it, it's it's going to lead into Captain Marvel 2. I see. Oh, that's what I said. I said I think it's going to lead into Captain Marvel 2. Uh, another spoiler for you, Amanda. Uh, at, the, at the end, she gets to meet. Uh, she gets pulled into a theater. And it's her and a scroll. And they she goes, they want to meet with you. And she goes, who? And then she, the scroll points up. So a friend of your mother's. Yep. And it's, so it's either like it's now here's the other thing. It could be the scroll Nick Fury because we do have the secret evasion coming into play. That would, I, I don't know. I'm teetering more towards Captain Marvel too, which could be secret invasion. Uh, I don't know if they've given it a full title yet. Um, or it could be the, what was uh, Captain Marvel's team where she had uh, Spectrum? Uh, she had, I think, Black Panther. There was a there was a team that they created together. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it later. That could be what she's coming up with as well, or it could be us setting up for the Fantastic Four. There's also the Guardian Galaxies that's coming out with. Uh, we have Adam Warlock who's still in play somewhere. Uh, the Eternals. All these things are space and magic themed. I think that's going to be the next what we're going to see in phases four. I think is really going to be magic and exo earth themed, mm -hmm. at least magic wise, interdimensional, obviously. Oh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy three is out there. Yeah. And, and like, so it's way I think Adam Warlock is going to end up showing up there, but because he's still that was at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy two. Uh, we also have uh, Spectre Vision, who now has uh, the has unlocked all of his memories from the uh, Wanda's Vision. He's another character that's coming into play, which is, are we going to have regular Vision back, or do you think it's going to stay as Ghost Spectre Vision, the White Vision? I think it's probably going to stay. I would imagine. No, because like you've kind of, I think, I think, I mean, you've, you've already gone through this transformation. I don't know. I, I, that's what I, I think it'd be more creative and interesting to keep him as is. What do you think, David? Do you think he's going to go back to the red and green and yellow? Well, I, don't, I don't know if he'll change his color scheme back, but I think white I, vision is probably going to rejoin the Avengers. Yeah. I mean, because that's what they lead you to believe. I mean, at the, there, there's that scene in, in the, in the library and they do the thought exercise, the ship of Theseus. And at the end, at the end of that, spoiler alert, at the end of that <laughs> fake vision, because because vision in the hex yeah. is a, mm -hmm. is a complete fabrication. Wanda has right. made him up. Right. And so the white vision is the old vision body that's been repaired. And yeah, 
and the, the, the robot used. was reprogrammed by sword. Now, the question that the thing that I wonder is, okay, so uh, Director Hayward has this this camera footage of Scarlet Witch breaking into the vision, the facility, and supposedly stealing the Vision's body. From the flashback, it doesn't look like she actually, she actually stole ever the body. took it out. No, right, that, exactly. that she just left. So he either mm -hmm. he made that up to justify what he was about to do. So if that is the Vision's body, it is. The white vision is vision's body without the mind stone, but he still has some level of power because there is another crystal in the forehead that does all of the stuff that the vision typically does. He can phase, he can change his density and, and, you know, phase through objects. He can fly, uh, you know, he can shoot the beam out of his forehead and all that other stuff. Um, he'll, and, and now they exchange memories, you know, uh, 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 illusory vision gives uh, the white vision, unlocks all of the white vision's memories up to the point that he was activated. Um, so I think he'll probably go back to join the new Avengers or whatever the, whatever they're calling the team now. Um, because now we, you know, we've got Falcon and the winter soldier coming out and, and, you know, who's going to take Iron Man's place and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to be back. No, but yeah. they could ha he could have a villain turn too. He we can. don't know. Um, so I, obviously we're going already into we episode seven through nine here because we kind of just like went into it, and that's my fault, and I'm okay with that. Um, but we also got to see in this latest one, we got to see Scarlet Witch's costume. We got to see the Scarlet Witch. We got to see her costume. Uh, have you seen it at all, Amanda? By any chance? Um, no, I haven't. I haven't yet. Just just the Halloween episode where it's like, oh, look, hey, don't you look cute? <laughs> it's so awesome. Like, I I did. I started clapping. I was like, oh, my gosh, yes. And my son's sitting there next. I did. I did. I've never gotten so excited about because the one thing about the Marvel Universe, and I know Kevin Foggy is a god when he comes to this. He knows what he's doing with he's the Marvel genius. Universe. He's he is. He knows exactly what he's doing. I will never judge him on what he does. Not that my opinion matters, but it's he. He was the, the one beef I've always had is a lot of the heroes didn't have costumes, which is what we grew up on. And I mean, in reality, practically, no. Do they really need a costume? But that's no, that they don't. But it's not as fun. And we got that hint when you saw her. She's looking at. Uh, we knew it was her in the Mind Stone. And then in the final episode, she gets her costume and God, she looks badass. Like there is no other way to put it. She looked awesome in that costume. And she even's got a little hoodie that she can throw up on it and everything. Nice. It's it's it looks glorious. I think it was so well done. Uh, David, what did you think? I, I, I'd love to get another opinion on the the whole Scarlet Witch and how we see her as she's been unlocked as the Scarlet Witch. Well, I, I I liked it. I think they did a good job. You know, and you talk about the costumes. Uh, you know, a lot of the costumes that we see in comics, they're a lot easier to draw and a lot harder <laughs> to wear. I'll give you that. It, it's like back when we were talking about the in the Mandalorian, we, we were talking about Ahsoka's uh, tentacles. Montreal. Um, yeah, there right. we go. Yeah. There, this, there's this a certain, there's the a certain amount of practicality that you have to, especially if you're going to do a lot of these costumes or a lot of the outfits 
as practical uh, and actual costumes, as opposed to like the Iron Man suit, which is in the later movies was basically all motion capture. Yeah. Um, or the or the Hulk, and so you know I I don't to me a character isn't the costume, um, but I think that it was done very well. Um, and I think it's going to lead into whatever it is they have mapped out for Scarlet Witch uh, on the whiteboard in Kevin Feige's basement uh, <laughs> <laughs> for how it's go- for how that character is going to go through Phase Four and into and and beyond. I, I just looked at it right now. It's, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Oh, I, I yeah. told you, I'm I'm not a wand of it. Uh, I'm not a Scarlet Witch fan, but when I saw it, I was like, I I I, I like it. I, I I'll play. I but I will disagree with you uh, to an extent. Captain America can't be Captain America without his costume, without his shield. Is he truly still Captain America, or is he just a super serum dude? Like I, the costume to an extent makes the hero. It personifies what they are. Thor is nothing without his hammer. He we saw that he wasn't him's true self. He's not that badass dude that we see with the pecs. If he doesn't have that red cape, how is that the the hero without the costume? Well, but the, you also have to ha- give some practical leeway to how you're actually going to move in it, uh, as opposed as opposed to what they draw in the comic strips. Um, you know, because a, a fair criticism of a lot of comics is that they're drawn by guys who you wouldn't think ever got a date in high school <laughs> because all, all the, all the women look busty, big waist, you know, yes. these heels are like 12 inch heels. You couldn't possibly even walk in, let alone run or kick ass in. Right. Or, or, or the, the famous, you know, the stereotypical bikini fantasy armor that you see on some, on some, on some, by some artists, some uh, version of slave layers everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so, so some of that is some just, you know, right. adolescent male fantasy style costume, but, but you're right. But you also realize, you know, if you go back and watch Captain America, the first Avenger, why is, why does Captain America's costume look the way it does? Because they dressed him up that way to sell war bonds. You're right. You're and right. when he was operating in Germany and beating up the red skull, he wasn't wearing all of that. He was wearing an army outfit, you know, with, with the vibranium shield. You know, but so, what did he do? He what he he ended up. Yes, he started off. He put that costume on because he knew that was America's costume. I'm not saying, I and, and I totally agree. I totally totally agree with you. Yes, there has to be some practicality. What can you actually do in cinematography? What can be, what is drawn, and it, one of my the ones I always I, that I thought was the most ridiculous was like uh, Spider Woman. Whose costume is just like super skin tight and she apparently she can fly, but she has this like just little it's it's silly, stupid stuff. It's like the super skin tight. And I get that. Like you want to be able to show off that this is this superhero or heroine and still have them be practical. There, There is a give and take. Well, at least you're going to have the little flaps be like a flying squirrel, you know, where it's like the whole thing for the. (laughs) Arm to the leg. <laughs> well, and, and you know, you you look at this isn't a Marvel movie, but in one of the one of the Wolverine movies, they they should they pull open a drawer and there's the yellow and black Wolverine suit. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, so, was... so they make an allude. They they allude to they allude to the the history of that character, but they never actually dress Wolverine up like that. Even though they do some of the same things with his hair, uh, and 
you know, I, I, I think they've done a good job of paying homage uh, to the characters as they were depicted in the comics. Now they've also got, you know, some of these characters also go back and they have a wide variety of different costumes uh, for them to use. I mean, so they also have that. Um, I'm glad you brought up the X-Men. All right. Because in the end of that X-Men, they were all wearing the black leather suit. Do right. you, did you mm -hmm. feel like you got the full blown X-Men versus getting if they were in their not so much traditional costumes but more traditional yes the, they did make the homage to the the black and yellow but do you really feel like you got the full-blown x-men no. superheroes no based on the black leather costume i didn't like it i like, really i really wanted something a little more traditional it just felt like wah, wah, these are not that exciting dave i in the first x-men movie I felt like they were building the world. Okay. And, you know, I, I, at the same time, if they had made, if they had brought everybody in, in the costumes from X-Men, the animated series, I don't know that I could take, have taken the movie that seriously. What about um, a little bit more? But there's a way even just color wise, like just kind it's, of having something to, you know, determine like who is who is like okay this is more of a brighter color and this is a more like just to show something that we've really captured your personality in your particular wardrobe yeah that's what i, I didn't like i agree with that i i agree with that yes um, and I, but yeah, i think ahead. you know they, they always they make some conscious design choices you know and maybe they wanted thematically for them all to look kind of the same could they have gone with the the x-men blue and the x-men gold teams sure um for whatever reason, you know, Brian Singer chose not to not to take that tack, um, you know, but I think by the by the time you get to the Avengers movie, every each of the heroes, each of the six main Avengers has their own distinct visual style and their mm -hmm. own distinct visual mm -hmm. coloration. Um, and so when you get that fabulous shot of of at the bat, beginning of the Battle of New York, where the camera just circles around yes. them oh and, it, and, and when that shot. when the trailer came out. I mean, every all of my friends were like, "I have been watching that on repeat for the last half hour." <laughs> you know, that is just a, a a fabulous shot. And so you, but by then they've established what each character does and what what each character looks like. Um, you know, and and when you start getting into these large ensemble casts, you kind of have to do that. Otherwise, mm -hmm. like in the Transformers movies, I mean, the Transformers movies did a bad job of distinct of distinguishing characters because they didn't go back to the generation one bodies. And so all of them is kind of like, oh, look, it's a giant robot beating up another giant robot. The only one who the only one who even looks remotely unique is Optimus Prime and maybe Bumblebee. Otherwise, it's just a big black robot, you know, punching out another one. Now, um, that, now that you've insulted Transformers, I want you to know Amanda wrote on that movie. No, she didn't. She didn't. I don't know. Did you? I, I'm totally making that up. I just wanted to mess with him a little bit. No, I would not work with Michael Bay if he paid me all the money in the world. No, <laughs> right. But, but you're right. You're right, though. But if, if you watch the, the Transformers on Netflix, the War for Cybertron, they have gone back to a lot of the Generation 1 designs and colors. And so each character looks like the character that we expect or that we have grown up with. Because I grew up on Transformers, I still have Transformers comics sitting in a in a long box in here in the basement, um, and each of them has has their own look from from Generation One. Whereas in the movie, you kind of lost that because they made a very specific stylistic choice, mm. and 
you know, I, I think the other thing is you're never going to make a hundred percent of the fans happy no, no matter what you do, never. because never. all of us, especially, you know, when you grow up on this and you have a very specific idea of, of what you think should happen and Star Wars fans are the worst of them at this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Guilty. No one hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans because we we have we all have this idea of what Star Wars is because there is so much content out there between the expanded universe and the the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy and the sequels and and all of this what? other stuff. There, there is so much out there that when what we see on the screen doesn't match the story that has been built up in our heads there is a portion of our fandom that just goes off the deep end and they, you know, they take it out on Ahmed best. They take it out on Kelly Marie Tran and they're just ugly about it. Instead and that was, that just, was just disgusting. I mean, that was like, yes. I mean, people are just so cruel. I mean, that poor woman, I just, I felt so awful for her because we were working on publicity for the film at the time and just hearing about like the hate mail that she would get the, this is just like, Grow up, people. You know, like, don't you have anything better to do? Like, the, the, the cyberbullying, it was just ungodly. I felt awful for her. Right. And, and, you know, and I think that some of the some of the things in the MCU, a lot of, in the X-Men movies, you know, everybody has their favorite X-Men, right? And there are gazillions of them. And when right, Cable, know. yeah, <laughs> Cable, when, when Cable didn't appear in one of the first three X-Men movies or X-Force or, or Domino or any of those other ones, you know, some people made the choice just to be enraged about it because you didn't include, you know, Psylocke didn't appear or fill in the blank, whoever it was, um, you know, but there are, again, there are practical considerations that come into that. What, you know, in the, in the first X-Men movie, why didn't they focus on their five original X-Men? You know, Angel doesn't appear until X3. So, sure. and Beast. But, but, but they choose, right. Beast didn't appear in the first one. So, but they made specific choices for the the script and for the the actors they could get and that's fine um as a fan i sit back you know i'm in the bag for anything star wars you know i there are there are some things that i don't particularly care for personally but you know what it's still star wars and i remember a time when there was not new star wars there was this this drought from from 1985 until the special editions came out in 1997 and then you know episode one in, in 99 there's this drought when there is no new star wars other than what you could pick up in, in a novel or a comic book. And so when I get new Star Wars content, I, I just love it. And I love that they're making it. Sometimes the choices they make, I don't always agree with. But you know what? It's not my baby. I didn't pay $4 billion to own it. And so they can do whatever they want with it. And I'm going to still consume it. And I'm still going to love it. Fair. I uh, absolutely agree with you. Sorry, I had to think about something. Uh, uh, Osmonds, they had a, a Star Wars special. Uh, I was trying to remember uh, Donnie Osmond and his sister. Mm -hmm. They did a, I was trying to remember when that was and everything, but I remember I actually put it up on the, uh, uh on, on my Facebook page because it was that little thing. Cause I made it the joke. Nobody sells out like Star Wars sells out. The fact that they made a musical and then the, the Christmas special that we don't talk about. I finally, act oh, I actually finally watched it, by the way, too. Oh, the it's, holiday special is awesome. 
Oh, it's god awful. Especially you, if you've been drinking. Less. But you, you know, you know. Now that now that uh, the Muppets... my boyfriend at the time in college refused to let me watch. He's like, "You will never watch this." <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, great. Like, you'll ruin your Star Wars fandom forever. Or to make uh. it better. Um, but you know, the Muppet, the Muppet Show. They had a Star Wars episode, and it's on Disney Plus now. It is. Oh right? my gosh! Yeah. Pigs and oh my gosh, yes, that was it's, such. Oh. It's got it's got Luke and Chewbacca, and uh, I think it has Chewbacca. Luke and R two D two are there after it. Ta- I, I think it was on after Empire because he's in the Bespin outfit when yeah. when Mark Hamill appears on the show. It's awesome. it, you know, um, we got this. Is why I love this doing this <laughs> podcast. We go on these tangents because this literally all started with Scarlet Witch's costume, and I'm gonna wrap it uh, that this this little segment up here. Just saying, the only defense I will give to the X-Men, based on their them all having the same black leather, is this was the first big risk superhero movie that we've seen since maybe the 80s. I mean, I think the last one before that was, well, no, there was Blades, but that Blade. really wasn't really, it was, but it wasn't. Howard the Duck was the before that, was Howard the Duck, was the last Marvel based movie i believe uh, dolph longer and the punisher oh uh, did that come out before or did that come out after blade i, think I thought it that was came out before. after no i'm almost 100 percent that Bla- the first blade came out before the punisher yeah no go ahead uh but i'll say this any the my whole point was the x-men was a big risk because there really wasn't a lot of superhero movies out and I don't think Fox had high expectations. So they did with what they could with the finances and nobody expected. I don't think anybody expected a lot out of it. And then all of a sudden that happened. And then we got Spider-Man's, we got uh, fantastic fours and it just, then we got daredevil and it just blew up from there. Right. Um, well, well, and, and X-Men was X-Men succeeded because they got, they got, Name level actors. I mean, they got Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, and Hugh Jackman. And I, who, um, um, oh my gosh, Storm, uh, Halle Berry, Halle Berry. Holy well, cow! And, I'm and if if you there, I will maintain this for decades. But there is no more perfect casting than Hugh Jackman, Ian McKellen, and Patrick Stewart as Wolverine, Magneto, and Professor X. I mean, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They they were perfect in those roles. And now you can't see anyone. Yeah. I, I can't imagine anyone else picking up that mantle. Now, oh, someone, Michael Fassbender in first class was amazing. Yes. yes the, the, and, and even James McAvoy, James McAvoy is, as Xavier in the in the new X-Men movie. I didn't like him. I, I, I no, I, really? I no, I'm not a fan of McAvoy. He's I like him as an actor. Don't get it. He's a phenomenal actor. I've seen him in other things that I liked. He didn't do. I don't felt. I didn't feel justice was done for okay. Xavier. Um, I can see that. But again, like I said, I like McAvoy as an actor. It just wasn't Patrick Stewart for me. It wasn't Patrick Stewart, and that's and that's what made it hard because even before Patrick Stewart took that role. He, it, it, Xavier looked like Patrick Stewart and even right. Patrick Stewart, when he was getting ready for this role, he goes, why does this character look like me? Right. He didn't know. He'd never knew about Xavier. And 
it, it, it just, it was too perfect. Like Ian McKellen, yeah. yes, obviously couldn't play younger him and Patrick Stewart just doesn't age. It just, it just McAvoy just didn't do it for me. Okay, and it's it was hard, and it's it that's a big mantle to feel too to fill too. Like it's it's hard, so I won't hold it against them. But but someone will fill it. Yes. I mean that that's the other thing. It's inevitable. When they reintroduce the X Men into the MCU, all of those characters that we've grown up with, whether it's Holly Berry or Ian McKellen or you know Hugh Jackman, someone is going to be Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Whoever that is. And someone is going to be Xavier and someone is going to be Magneto. You know, um, you know, it, right now, Ryan Reynolds is the perfect Deadpool. He's perfect. But at some point, you know, if they continue making those movies, so, theoretically, someone else is going to going to replace him. It's why they keep replacing Spider-Man. I mean, Spider-Man is supposed to be 17 years old or they eventually sent him to college. But he was 17 years old for. 40 years or 50 years or however long that character was. But yeah. you can do that in a comic book and you can't do that on in a movie. But there there were Spider-Man. Okay, yes, in the comics, yes, he was a teenager for a long time. But they also have adult Spider-Mans. They have and again, we're getting into the multiverses here. I I think at the time Toby Maguire was a great Spider-Man. Looking back now, I'm like, hey, he's, he's all right. He's, he's not bad. Tom Holland is a phenomenal Spider-Man. And I can't wait to see him, what he grows into. But we also have this opportunity now that we're getting into the multiverse to bring in uh, Miles. And that's bringing in more variety of characters uh, that we can see. I also am excited because of the rumor that they're bringing all the spiders back into the uh, the Spider Man movie, No Way Home. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's the it, that's the rumor. Uh, I I don't know. WandaVision has made me question everything because I heard Doctor Strange was going to be in WandaVision and he wasn't. Like he was mentioned. Um. Uh, oh, fair enough. So, uh, sorry. Uh, our good friend over here, David, sent me a message. Uh, so, 1989 was the Punisher, huh? When so. Howard the Duck, 1987? 1986. 1986. It was 1986. I'm almost 100% sure on that one. Yes. Yes. I know things. <laughs> I'm always proud of myself when I know something. So, but yeah, that, that, that's creepy and weird that Howard the Duck was the first Marvel, like, major Marvel movie in a while. <laughs> it's kind of big duck. Um, what was I going with this? Well, uh, they, oh, yeah. they, they teased yeah. a lot of, or they had a lot of theories of who, because or before the series came on, they teased that there was going to be some big appearance or, or you know, whatever. Um, and so the, the question was, who's it, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Reed Richards from the Fantastic yeah. Four? Was it going to be Professor mm -hmm. Xavier? Was it going to be one of the X-Men? You know, uh, and so that was, that was kind of the fun of the show is, is to see what comes next. And that's why I love the way Disney has been releasing content as opposed to the Netflix model, you know, where the right. Netflix drops, you know, 22 issue episodes thing. of mm -hmm. all at once by, by releasing week to week, you build, you Less build water spoilers. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but you let, and it's like the game of Thrones. People are always talking about, well, this happened this week on game of Thrones. And, and so what's going to happen next week, you know, and if you had read the books up to the first three or four seasons, you kind of knew how, what was going to happen. But then after that, you didn't know. And there's, there's a lot of value in that. 
and and Disney knows that. Kevin Feige and Disney realize that that the way you build hype is to to lead folks on instead of just oh here are nine episodes of WandaVision and you know because some people will have watched that if they released it at 3 a.m. by 9:30 they've watched all nine episodes and then they're posting yeah. spoilers on the internet. Well, so it, it it's it's crazy to think in this Netflix era that we live in. Uh, it's only been a couple years. And before that, we've, we've grown so accustomed to having, like, just binge watching because it's quite literally only been, what, three, four years at the most that you've been able to do things like that that will release a full-blown season? Life used to be that way. It used to be a weekly, you would have to wait till next week. And it's crazy how spoiled we've gotten because yeah. of well, Netflix and it, stuff like that. It used to be that if you had to go to the bathroom in the middle of an episode, you had two and a half minutes <laughs> to run from your couch to the restroom. And you and if you weren't if you weren't back in time, someone was hollering from the living room, it's back on. And you came <laughs> running out because you didn't want to miss what happened on that week's episode. Thank because you. you may but before VHS, you may or may not ever see that episode again. Oh my god. Then your mom looks at you. Did you wash your hands? No. Go wash your butt. No. Flashbacks. I'm having them. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, they did a really, really good job. I thoroughly loved it. Uh, the, the conspiracy theories, the, all the what ifs, the, all the talking, they did a phenomenal job. Kevin Foggy knows what the hell he's doing. He has a great crew, and I will say nothing but wonderful, wonderful things about who he gets and how he does things. Never in any of my time uh, have I ever thought that we would be where we are and how things are going in the nerd culture, in the Marvel super universe, in fandoms in general. Never did I thought we would ever have these kind of conversations and have such a variety of people getting giddy about it. Legitimately at work, people who I talk about sports all the day and it drives me crazy. And they were sitting there talking about WandaVision. And then there's this guy, he has a Boston accent. And he's like, yeah, did you watch WandaVision? It was wicked awesome. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, we totally did. Yeah, it was great. Dude, he is like the stereotype WandaVision, uh, like Boston guy. And I love him for it. And it's just great to hear like the, the variety and what it got going. Um, so going back onto our track, because that was one hell of a tangent. I love it. I <laughs> uh, yeah, well, episodes... welcome to the show amanda yeah welcome <laughs> you are more than welcome to come back anytime and go on our little tangents with us it's great uh but episodes seven through nine when we talked about this off camera essentially made up a movie and that was really we went back to uh your expertise your area of production where it is modern day it is using all the great technology it was high budget definitely can tell they put in like when she's shooting the spells and she's doing flying uh, the car into uh harkness and everything you got ooh, that looked like that was expensive uh by the way did the the whole feet underneath the the car uh spoiler amanda um I think that's going to be the cat. Was it a Wizard of Oz reference? It was. It was. Yeah. It was a Wizard of Oz. Like it was just her boots and yeah. everything. Just like. Did you have the striped stockings and all that too? Did she have striped stockings on? I don't think so. No, I don't think no. But they, she got hit by a Buick boots. instead of a house. Yeah, okay. it was. It was still funny. See, like it was. It was cool. They're like ah, 
And my wife looks at me because we've been talking about how the Easter eggs. And she goes, hey, look, that's an Easter egg. And I'm like, I don't think that was an Easter egg, but that's more of a homage. But yeah, sure, why not? Let's go with it. I like it. I appreciate it. They did. They they did a really, really good job to where you felt like here is the actual movie. And the last episode, it was around 47 minutes with credits. They did a lot. They they closed up a lot of things. Uh, one thing I, I now, Dave, maybe you can answer this for me. Who was the witness that uh, Wu was looking for? The the witness that was in witness protection that went into Westville. I don't know that they ever really gave a name, and it was a miss. It started out as a missing persons case, yeah. and then he gets there, and the whole town's gone missing. So that was kind of you don't know why he was there, what, who the person was. Um, Do you think that's just something they forgot about or? No, they wouldn't have forgotten. <laughs> no, it would have been a very intentional choice. Yeah. We never found that out then. That's, that's the, I think that's one of the few things that were addressed in the beginning, but never addressed in the end. There wasn't any kind of segue to it afterwards. Like, we found out what happened with Agnes. We found out what happened to all the people, including Dottie. Dottie just turned out to be nobody, which is kind of disappointing because I was really hoping she would be like Emma Frost or something like that. I was hoping she would be a mutant because she totally looks like Emma Frost. And just even her personality, her cold-heartedness in the, mm-hmm. when she's in the night. Oh, yeah perfect and i was like ah that's her and they're like no it's not like, okay cool uh, um according yeah, to ahead. screen rant the 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 witness the missing person has not been directly identified but that's not an accident could it have been harkness probably not because she's i mean she's hundreds of years old yeah I mean, they established that at the beginning that she his, she goes back to, you know, pre Salem uh, with this coven that that what she wiped out. Um, uh, so I don't think it would have been her, or if it was the F, it wouldn't be the FBI that was looking for her. Yeah, it would be it would be Shield or Sword or some other agency uh, that knew her history. Right. Or this, she doesn't mention the Sorcerer Supreme. Supreme. So. Who knows? Doctor Strange could have definitely had a hand in it. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole lot of things we still don't know, and that's what makes this really fun. Other than we, what we know is we have we have Spectrum, we have the Scarlet Witch, who she has been addressed as the basically the apocalypse for the world, and kind of going back to comic lore here, she has that capability definitely very very well. Um, and then we have the scrolls have been addressed. There's, I would argue there has been a tease for the Fantastic Four, at least in back when they we first go into S.W.O.R.D., they kind of talk about going into the space and like how they're not going back up anymore. Or at least she's not going up bad anymore up into space. And they're doing stuff up there. Mm-hmm. Um, mutants, I don't know what's going on here because that totally got shot out the window. Uh, I I think though I think the reason they didn't address mutants and I thought I thought they would like as I ta- said before I thought they were going to lay the foundation for mutants here. I think the roadmap for Phase Four is already written down and in that pre-production cycle. 
that they are doing and I don't know which movies they're shooting, but the whiteboard in Kevin Feige's basement or wherever it is that he keeps this, the super top secret thing plan, you know, the Fox deal didn't come about until mid 2019. And so I think a lot of the plans, you know, cause it, you don't just make a movie, you know, tomorrow and then have it come out in six months. I mean, they, they've, they've got the plans for these that are taking years to mature. So I don't think mutants are on the immediate horizon, but they've got that somewhere on the roadmap. It's just a matter of how do, how do they incorporate the, the, you know, the 70 years history of the X-Men, how do they incorporate that into the MCU? Yeah. So I, I maybe phase five, who knows? Um, regardless of the fact it left me very wanting, it left me excited and I'm so happy for everything. Um, given, even though you haven't seen episode nine, (laughs) I promise you, we're not trying to bash you (laughs) for this. Looking back at all the rest of it, would there be anything you would like to have seen done differently? Uh, from a production point of view, from a fan point of view, is there anything that you would have changed or added to the the WandaVision universe? Like, would you have done anything different? I would have had a little more um, mystery earlier on, like when they're talking through the radio and trying to get to her. Like, I felt like a lot of people checked out um, you know, and just it was just the the you know everyone else instigating, saying like, no, 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 keep going, keep going, it gets better, it gets better. But a lot of people I know that aren't super fans um, of like the Marvel universe or just like they hear it's good. It's like I don't get it. Like I'm just not into it. I don't want to watch an old '50s sitcom. I go go watch Bewitched or something. Like I really feel like there could have been a little more peppered in earlier to be like, what am I watching? And then there's like a glitch, and you're like, oh, what was that? And then you're back to it and you're like, hmm. So there's more intrigue a little sooner. You don't have to have to give anything away, just even something you could do with the screen or like a flash of color earlier or a, a slight, just, just something to get something to give me something more earlier. Now I, I, you're seeing that as a missed opportunity for the non-Marvel fans, but to counter that for the Marvel fans, do you think that would have pushed them away maybe a little bit like, okay, they're dragging this on a little bit more than I would have preferred. Like, it, do you, there is that fine line there of how do you keep the fans that are already the fans but also bring in new blood? Do you think that maybe that could have been, that, that, that would have been a risk? I don't think so. I mean, I think even if it's something as simple as, you know, like behind them, like the wallpaper just kind of starts to crumble a little bit and you see a little bit of like, you know, code or something. And it's like then, it, then it's back up again. Like that would have been like, ah, oh. just so that just so that we know we're, we're not trying to mirror the whole episode. Like watching one episode is a whole thing going to be black and white because that was a turnoff for some people I know. Mm-hmm. But just giving us something else like, you know, what, like, like in Pleasantville. You know, just like there's a hint of something more that's coming. And like when you see the plane and you see that slowly turn in color, I just felt there could have been a few more little dots here and there. That's all. Okay. So like the, the helicopter mm-hmm. that was all in color. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, David, anything that you would have done differently? No, I, I, 
I, I, I don't try not to second guess someone else's creative choices um, because I also feel like WandaVision wasn't a traditional series. WandaVision was meant to right. be viewed as 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 a nine episode arc. It was serialized from beginning to end. There were no, you know, it wasn't like some of the seasons of Star Trek was a, where there was a throwaway one off episode, you know, and they've made that same choice with things like the Mandalorian that, you know, they have they've made very specific story choices. And I think I think the fans that were turned off, you know, because I was one of those people that was saying, you got to keep watching, you got to keep watching get to episode four and then all of this makes sense. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think you have to view that as, as a, as, as one big story in the same way that I don't think you can watch fellowship of the ring by itself. Okay. Right. The, the Lord of the Rings is a 12 hour movie. It is one 12 hour story and mm -hmm. you have to watch fellowship of the ring, the two towers and return right. of the King. You have to watch them Extended edition only. You have to watch them beginning to end. And kind of you have to view WandaVision in the same way that it, it, it was meant to be, again, in my mind, it's the bridge into phase four and it's meant to be viewed as a whole. And, you know, maybe you lose a couple folks along the way, but I think once folks stick through it and you look back at the choices that they made in the first three episodes, it all makes sense. Okay. I got it. Uh, so we have been going for a little bit, and I thank you both for very much for being here. I love these little <laughs> tangents. Ah, I, I really, 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 truly do. Um, any final thoughts on WandaVision before we go ahead and wrap this up? Either of you? No. no You're going to okay. go watch it? You're going to go watch it, Amanda? <laughs> I, have to, I have to finish it, yeah. <laughs> let me know what you think after you get done watching it i, I would will. absolutely love to know what you think um <clears throat> so david as always it's always a pleasure having you on the show thank you so much um thank is there anything yeah is there anything going on in the near future the for the uh the mandalorian mercs uh not immediately. I mean, a, a lot of us, and not just in the Mandalorian Mercs, but in the other Star Wars clubs. Yes, you know, the, I apologize. You the, are on the, a couple the, of those. The 501st Legion and the Rebel Legion uh, and all of those. I mean, we're, we're, we're all hoping. We lost last year because when the COVID lockdowns, you know, basically canceled every convention and every, every event that we normally go to. I mean, we missed out on a lot of troops. We missed out on a lot of opportunities, both at conventions, but also things like the hospital visits and the library visits and the other things that we do from a charity perspective. Um, we're hoping that as the vaccine rollouts uh, uh, come about and, you know, we're, we're, we get more of a population vaccinated uh, against COVID that we can start getting back into that. We're, I'm hoping that by summer we can have some semblance of normalcy. You know, I know some states are reopening and making certain events available. But that's that's the lifeblood of what we do as costume clubs is is we go out and we interact with the public uh, and we represent Star Wars and we represent our clubs. Um, so that's what we've got coming up, hopefully sooner rather than later. But again, safety is always the, the most paramount concern of everything that we do. Um, but that's pretty much what we've got coming up. Uh, you know, we're looking forward to to the other Star Wars content that's coming out on Disney Plus later in this year. And, you know, just as a, as a nerd and as a, as a 
fan of, of the MCU. I can't wait to see what else they've got going because, you know, that's the genius of the MCU and the genius of what Kevin Feige does is he makes each of these productions an event that you can't just watch, you know, even something like Ant-Man and the Wasp, which seems very self-contained. It has implications further down the road. And so they've, they've made WandaVision that, you know, and again, part of the purpose of this, I think, is also just to get people watching Disney Plus, people who weren't watching Disney Plus, because now if it really does lead into Doctor Strange 2 and Captain Marvel 2 and some of these other projects, you kind of have to have seen this too. You kind of have to have bought into the Disney Plus and the whole entirety of what they have going on for, for Marvel and Star Wars or Pixar or any of these other properties that they have. Okay. Um, Amanda, I, I apologize. I meant to mention it earlier, but you have a TV show that is uh, coming out soon. Um, we're still looking for distribution, but we shot it this last summer and we're just um, still in post-production. Okay. So. All right. Uh, so anything else that you would like to talk about before we wrap up? Uh, anything that you got the besides the show? Um, anything that, that you would like to mention? Uh, no, no, that's it. Um, hopefully okay. the Potwins will find a show soon that stars Kevin Sorbo, Barry Botswick, uh, Tia Carrera, and John Lovitz. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's being shopped around and hopefully it'll have a home soon. So. I'm excited. I can't wait. Um, so go, let's go ahead. Let's wrap up here. As always, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you are listening to us on Audible or Apple, please remember to rate and review. We're also on Instagram and Facebook, so please like and follow us at DNA Pod and on Twitter at NerdDNAPod. And when I eventually make it on there, and I know I say this every time, eventually I'll get on to my uh, Twitch. Uh, <laughs> I never get on there. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. But I, I we're actually, no, I take that back. We're going to be doing some D&D stuff. Uh, in the near future on there. So, yeah, no, I promise. <laughs> I'm on Twitch at Nerd DNA Podcast. And as always, I'm Steve. And thank you so much for David and Amanda joining me tonight. It was a pleasure having you guys. Oh, thank you again so much for having me. I had a blast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Huh. This is the DNA Podcast. Good night. <laughs>